listening to this week's message from Freedom Church. For more info on Freedom, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening. We're in a series called Little Things. I hope you've been getting some benefit out of this. Um, it's been beneficial to me. I know sometimes people think, well, you know, the preacher, you're preaching this because you know this stuff. Y'all, I'm getting this hot off the press too from the Lord this week. So it's like it's really been a benefit to, to me as well. And it's been making me evaluate how I live and what I do and what I say, how I think, how I act, um, how I respond to God, how I respond to negative stimuli. And um, all of these things are designed to help you get closer to Jesus. Y'all, that's the point. Y'all know that, right? The point of church and to begin with isn't just to come together on Sunday, just woo, sing some songs and go to the house and, you know, go eat some buffet somewhere. The whole point is for you to get closer to Jesus every single day. And what Sundays should do is to be like a, a, like a boost. Like, have you ever been in a lazy river? You know what I'm talking about? And it goes around, and every now and then you'll get to a jet, and you're like, you know, you'll fly, because the jet is what pushes the water, what conti- continues to, to make that lazy river work. The same thing happens in our lives when it comes to church. It, it, the church is just a boost to get you moving faster forward so you can get closer to Jesus. The whole point is you in a relationship with him. But here's my question for you. How often do you think about what you say? Uh, I don't want to talk about what we talk about, right? We, what, what, how do you think and how do you perceive about what you are talking about? You know, last week we talked about how we can have emotions, but we can't let emotions drive. Okay, emotions when they're driving are going to wreck us out at some point because life is crazy. And I hope you've worked on that some this week. Maybe you've had an emotional moment and you're like, oh, I'm going to check myself because I'm about to wreck myself. Come on, you know, like that's, that's what we do. But a clear way to see how much your emotions impact your life is by watching what you say. What you say always reveals what's really going on inside of you. We're emotional human beings. And our emotions can oftentimes get the best of us. For instance, when you get angry, emotions might lead you to say a cuss word. Maybe even a Christian cuss word. You know? Fudge sickle, you know? (laughs) Uh, Do we need to open the altar right now? I mean, like... Some of y'all looked at your kids. I know it's nervous energy right then, wasn't it? Some of y'all looked at y'all kids this morning. You better get in the... Jesus, help me. Um, When you get offended, you might want to gossip. You might want to find other people who can buttress your offense. And what they do is they bring their little buckets and they fill up their buckets from your offense and they're walking out of their emotions in that moment rather than doing what the Bible says and go have a conversation and get this thing sorted. Okay? That's what godly people should do. If you don't understand something that's going on at our church or if you are offended about something that's going on at our church, somebody said something to you that made you offended. Y'all look, it happens. And if you don't believe me, I bet it's happening in your own family. You tell me your spouse ain't never said something to you that's make you want to go. You say, who Jesus say one more thing to me? You know what I'm saying? Like, it happens. But here's what Satan wants you to do is to sit on that in your emotions and let it stew until it becomes a festering wound that now becomes a problem. So go talk about it. When we, when we get hurt, we say hurtful things back because, you know, I'm not going to let you shoot a dart at me and not shoot a dart back at you. Psychologists call that one-upping. Okay, so whenever you are in a, in a debate with somebody or in an argument with somebody, they'll say something and you have to one-up it because you can't let them have the edge, so you one-up, you one-up, you one-up. Psychologists say that the only way that you're going to stop that is somebody has to be willing to swallow their pride and one down. Okay, what about when you get caught in something? First thing we do is we try to lie. 
it's because our emotions are driving. Remember from last week, your heart is driven by your emotions, and your emotions change with your environment. That's a word for some of you because you've begun to realize that your friend environment isn't something that's driving you to Jesus. It's actually something that's buttressing your emotional outbursts. And what some of us need to do is actually stop texting certain people because those certain people are just bringing us further away from Jesus, not closer to Jesus. I can save them, okay, Jesus? Like, no, you can't. You can't. I've said this to teenagers before. I had an illustration one time where I I hung a a giant rope up from the ceiling. And and I said, um, imagine you were at the top of this rope standing on top of a building. And you had somebody that was down on the bottom. What's easier, for me to pull you down or for you to pull me up? Okay, this is the problem, is that people think that we can fix our problems by elevating ourselves. Jesus is the one that raises us. He's the one that fixes things. You can't fix your issue and the, the proof of that is that you haven't fixed it yet. If you could fix your own problems, you'd have fixed them already. Because if you just like walking around with problems, you're probably just a masochist and you like hurting yourself. Nobody wants that. Your heart, driven by your emotions, reacting to your environment, says things. Your heart speaks. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Think about this past week and what you've said. Just this past week, what was in your heart? That's evidenced by what's coming out of your mouth. The Bible talks about, a lot about the tongue, about the mouth, um, about what comes out of them. Let's read some verses here. 1 Peter 3.10 Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Proverbs 21.23 Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. How many of y'all said something the moment you said it, you were like... Ooh, like I know what's coming. <laughs> Proverbs twelve eighteen, there is no one. Uh, there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. James three eight, no human being can tame the tongue. It is restless evil, full of deadly poison. Y'all, the tongue and the mouth get a pretty bad rap. You know what I'm talking about? Like they really do. Um, but the issue is less about the member and more about where the poison is coming from. That's your heart. That's what's going on here. Let me give you one more verse. Psalm 19, 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. As easy as it is for your heart to be full of poison, it can be full of things that please God too. So we need our hearts to change, though, before what we ever say is going to change. I know some of you want more than anything that the words of your mouth change, that you begin speaking things that you know you should be speaking. And you might feel like, I can't do that. I get in the same situation, and rather than doing what God asked me to do, I just say the dumb thing again, or I say the thing I shouldn't say again. Well, your heart has to change before your mouth ever will. Okay, so how do we change our hearts? Well, Ezekiel Chapter 11, verse 19 through 20 says, Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh, and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. You see, guys, this is a work of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and it starts with our surrender to Him. Once we give ourselves to Him, then all of a sudden we see the heart surgery that God wants to do in us accomplished. It says clearly in the Word, They shall be my people, and I will be their God. That's lordship. That's the start of this process. This is, this is something that, that, that we have to get in our minds is that Jesus can't be Lord unless we make him Lord of that spot. 
Jesus isn't just going to barge into your heart and say, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, give it to me. No, he's only going to take what you give him. And some of us have given us our Sunday morning heart, but not our Friday night heart. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Some of us have given us our Sunday heart, but not our Monday morning heart. When we get to the office and you got to deal with these people that you know you can't stand, you're trying to get a paycheck. Like we have to give him all of us. Or what about when you get home and you have problems in your family, problems in your marriage? You're not going to make Jesus Lord over that? Jesus, do the saving part of me, like do all that stuff. But when it comes to my problems and my relationships, I am Lord of those things. That's what we tell the Lord. And then we wonder why what we say isn't changing. I'll tell you why, because what you have in your heart is poison in those areas. You think you're trying to help. You're thinking, God, I got myself into this problem and I can get myself out of this problem. That is arrogance. That is pride. It's idolatry. What God wants you to do is just say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord over every single part of me, not just the stuff that I'm okay with you having. Too many times we try behavioral changes thinking it's the answer. And what we'll do is we'll make it like three or four months and we're like, yes, we beat it. All of a sudden you get into a stressful moment. And at that stressful moment when you're weak, the enemy comes in and he says, hey, you remember when you used to do this? And you go right back to it. When we fall back into sin, we think, oh, it didn't work. But that process is being done backwards. You don't walk in a statute and keep his judgments prior to the heart change. It's after the heart change. In fact, a great way to tell if your heart really belongs to the Lord is in your walking and keeping his statutes and judgments. Now, you might think that's harsh because I'm saying, well, if you're not digging into the word and don't know everything about the word, that's not what I'm saying. Is it a struggle every single day to live up to what God says you need to be doing? The problem isn't your actions, it's, it's your heart. Look at Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so is your relationship with God really your treasure? Come on now. Is it really your treasure? Or is it just a way to get what you really treasure? Let me put it to you like this. If I took everything away from you, your family, your job, your house, your cars, your health, your money, and said you can just have Jesus, is it enough? Is it enough? I read something this week. I shared it with some of my friends up here that was about, um, about St. Peter. And um, there's an there's a early church historian that wrote an account of when Peter's wife was martyred. And the Bible says as she was being led away to be martyred, Peter was there arrested and saw the whole thing and cried out with joy, Remember thou the Lord. Remember the Lord, cheering for the fact that she was about to be home. Come on, put it into perspective now. Somebody grabbed your spouse and drugged them away to be martyred. Would you be rejoicing that they were about to go to Jesus? Or would you be wigging out? I, I would love to say I would be rejoicing. I would, but it gut-checked me this week. And it made me really ask myself, is Jesus really everything to me? Because if he isn't, then what is he? If he isn't, you answer this question, if Jesus isn't enough, then you know what? The answer proves where your treasure really is. So what am I really asking you to do here today? Like sacrifice everything, your family and everything? 
I'm not asking you to do that. And I don't think Jesus is necessarily asking you to do that. My whole point with that question is simply to ask you this. Is he really to you what you think he is to you? That's my question. So what am I asking? It's the same question that the disciples asked 2,000 years ago. That Jesus asked the disciples 2,000 years ago. Look at Matthew chapter 16, starting verses 19, uh, or starting 13, go to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to, him, he said to them, But who do you say I am? That's the most important question ever asked in the history of mankind, by the way. Who is Jesus to you? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I'll also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Look at the results of the correct answer to who Jesus is. Peter gets a blessing. He gets his affirmation of his connection with the Father. He gets a new name. He gets a new calling. He gets a guarantee that the church that he was going to spend his life working for was going to prevail. He gets keys to the kingdom and its mysteries. He gets the power to bind and loose simply by what he says. Your ability to walk in his statutes and keep his judgment begins with your answer to the most important question ever asked. Who is Jesus? John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Look, carts go after horses, and keeping commandments goes after loving the commander. You have to love Jesus if you want to obey his commandments. And when you obey his commandments, it changes your heart. And guess what happens as a result? What you say is different. But we have to make sure we're living this. I, I, I saw a video this week on TikTok, because, you know, TikTok is where we get all of our information now. Um, it was John Bevere talking about um, one of the biggest problems he sees in the Christian church is um, the sinner's prayer. And he says, we, we have people pray this little cute prayer that makes Jesus the bridge or whatever, but we're not teaching them what lordship really means and how to actually walk it out. Okay? We're, we don't do that. In fact, I got a little, a little pamphlet this week. I ordered some because one of my other friends said that they use this for their next steps with people when they say yes to Jesus. And I was looking at it, and all it talks about is Jesus being the bridge between us and God. While that's true, it didn't say anything about lordship. What's that say? It's that... I think we really would rather Jesus be the bridge and not the Lord. So maybe it's a good time right now to make Jesus Lord. I'm not asking you all to come to the front, but in this moment, I don't mean a little happy little Jesus be my bridge prayer, but I mean Jesus have all of me. It's like I confess this even now. Jesus, I want you to have all of me. Before all of you today, I want to make Jesus Lord in this moment. I submit to your Lordship, Jesus. Say it to him if you want to. I submit to your Lordship. Uh, You're the King of my life. You're the Lord of my life. I believe you. I'm all in with you, Jesus. This is something you need to be praying every single day. We have arguments within Christianity about when you get the Holy Spirit. Is it the time of salvation or a separate time? I don't care. I wake up every morning and I say, Jesus, your Lord and Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. Like I don't I'm not pinpointing it to a day. Every day we need to be doing this. You know why? Because something's going to happen today. 
and the Holy Spirit's going to be challenged in your life. Or you're going to meet somebody at the Walmart and you're going to start pouring out to them and you're going to pour out that cup and you're going to need to be filled back up because Monday's coming, y'all. But you have to live it. Actions scream in spite of what you're saying. We have to be careful our mouths aren't saying what our actions aren't living. Here's proof of that statement. It was a really good moment for Peter that we just read. But, but then seconds later, it was a really bad moment for Peter. See, Jesus was telling them about what was going to happen, that he was going to be crucified. And Peter was like, uh-uh, not today. Like, <laughs> not today, Satan. And, and Jesus rebuked him in Matthew 16, 23. Jesus says, but he turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He just had this moment where he was like, you're the son of the living God. You know, like this awesome Oh, doves flying. And now he's getting called Satan. You're an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. He just made one of the most iconic quotes of all time up there with let there be light and behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But what happened? There's an author named Martin Collins. He had this to say, Peter's zealous, impulsive faith is not absolute convicted faith, but humanly reasoned, self-assured, and immature. Boy, does that describe the Western church right now. Immature. Leave it up there for just a moment. It's not absolute and convicted. It doesn't come from a hardcore conviction. It's a reasoned. Well, if I say yes to Jesus, I get to go to heaven. See, that's reasoning that gets you there. It's self-assured. I am who he says I am. I am loved. I am ch- all these songs. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying it's bad to think of those things, but, but so many worship songs these days are just focused on what Jesus does for us and not his lordship and who he really is. That's one of the things that the, that the modern church is missing from the hymnals of the old church is, is that the hymnals used to, be, they used to come right out of the Bible. I think we need a resurrection of Fanny Crosby in some ways. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, let's, let's get some of you. are like, Fanny who? She wrote a bunch of hymnals. But we need some of that. We need some of that in the church. But what we have is immature faith. Paul even says it in, in, in some of his writings. I wanted to feed you meat, but I had to come to y'all with a bottle because y'all weren't ready for it. It's, it's an encouragement for us to get away from impulsive, self-indulgent, self-assured, immature faith and dive into absolute and convicted faith. How serious are you about Jesus being Lord? Is it over everything or just some things? Because here's why. Impulsive faith leads to offense and betrayal because it's untested faith. But absolute convicted faith leads to courage and commitment because it's been through some things. Sometimes we see people... That man, it's like they have just this solid relationship with Jesus, and they do. And it's not because they've had immature, self-assured faith, but they've had convicted faith. Why? Because they've gone through some stuff. And they've had to endure hell to see that God is faithful. And they've come out on the other side and said, I don't care what you say to me. He is real. He is faithful. And no matter what's going on, I'm with him. Compare and contrast Peter in this moment and then on the day of Pentecost where he led thousands to Christ with just one message. Jesus came to save you and you nailed him to the cross. Okay, not the Romans. You did it. His own people. So repent and believe and be baptized. That's what Peter said in that moment. And y'all, it might have been easy to say those words, but he was standing in the temple mount. He was talking to the very people that were just down the street yelling crucify 50 days before. They could have stoned him to death right there in that moment. 
So was it the Holy Spirit that made the difference? Absolutely. I had a professor one time that said the reason Peter had such a life change is because he got hit by two by four. Acts two and four. That's when the Holy Spirit came. It's like, ah, uh-huh. that's a Bible joke. It's like that's worse than a dad joke. You know what I mean? <laughs> Preacher jokes are definitely worse than dad jokes. I'm telling you right now. He had moments where he questioned whether it was Jesus or not on the water. Who else would it be, bro? He had, he had moments where he questioned who Jesus was, like when he betrayed him. But something happened to Peter, and I think it started before Acts 2 and 4. I think it started in John 21, where Peter messed up big time. He betrayed Jesus, but still Jesus believed in him. Still Jesus trusted him. Still Jesus forgave him. His faith was tested. His motivation was challenged. His love was questioned, but he experienced forgiveness from Jesus Christ. He stopped trying to play the part of disciple and actually got to some absolute convicted faith to become a disciple. I don't think Peter became a disciple the moment Jesus said, follow me at the boat early on in the Gospels. I think it was in this moment when Peter realized this man really is for me. And I've gone through some stuff, but he came with me on the other side, even though he was the brunt of my sin. How did this happen? tell you how grace grace is how the bible says grace is is unmerited favor it's unearned approval and support it's god saying innocent when you are absolutely guilty there's nothing that can soften a heart so only heart like god's grace so until you encounter god's grace your heart's always going to be stone and until that moment you will always have zealous impulsive faith but it won't be enough for the road that you have to walk and this is why we see a lot of people turn away Now, you might think today's message is all about your heart and how to go from a stony heart to a soft heart. And and that's partially true, but but today is is about what you say and how you better it. But before we deal with what we say, we have to deal with where it comes from. That's your heart. That's why we talked about all of that up until now. However, what you say is the proof of what's in your heart. What you say can also have an impact on your heart and everything else around you. Do you realize what you say has an impact? If you want any proof of that, tomorrow, or we'll see, tomorrow's a holiday. So Tuesday, when you drop your kids off at school, don't gripe at them at all. Just encourage them and watch how things change. Watch how the car ride changes. And by the way, you don't always have to say something. This right here is a dagger to a kid's soul. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Listen to me. You are going to eat the fruit of whatever tree you're growing. Death or life. Believe it or not, you have the power to lose heaven or hell in your life by what you say. Now, there are a lot of people that use that verse. And like, if you, if you lose, you know, gophers on earth, it's not going to lose gophers in heaven. Okay, so it's not absolute. Okay, so it can't apply to everything. But death and life. Death and life come out of this that but remember y'all death to God is not dying death to God is separation so that means that life to God is not being alive it's being found in him okay if that's the case then what you say can either get you closer to God or push him away that means everything that you say so ask before, how often do you think about what you say? Now let me ask this. Are you speaking more life or more death? 
Is what you're saying really releasing God's presence in your life or is it shutting it down? Fellas, I'm going to talk to you for just one second. You have the power to change the atmosphere of your home. Simply by your voice. If you see something in your house that you don't like, you have the power to change it with your voice. Now remember, it's not a condescending, aggressive, dictatorial style voice. I want you to talk to your family. Come on, fellas. Like you want God to talk to you. Okay, I'm going to leave it alone. Today's little thing is changing what we say. How can we do that? Okay, first thing is simply this. Speak life. Speak life. And I don't mean just wake up in the morning and go, life. Like, come on, this isn't Disney. You know what I mean? Like, But death and life are in the power of the tongue. I think death is first because I think we speak more death than we do life. We talk down, we degrade, we demean, we curse, we speak death. And all of these things come from an emotionally driven heart. In these fleshly emotional moments, we say things that are designed to tear down. We say absolute comments like, you always or you never. By the way, nobody can ever always or ever do anything. Okay? Uh, Number two, value comments. You're worthless. You're a waste of time. Hurt-inducing comments like, I never should have trusted you. Why would somebody say that? Other than just going, what about identity comments? Like, you're always a liar. You're a failure. Now, you might say, hey, I don't say that stuff. And that's fine. You might be right. But they may have been said over you in your lifetime. And in moments of emotionalism, you believed them and then you recited them to yourself. Maybe you don't realize that the enemy is speaking this mess over you constantly. But God has given you power by the Holy Spirit to change the environment around you simply by what you say. You can change every situation, even horrible ones, by speaking life into them. Now remember, just like with forgiveness, this doesn't mean when people are doing wrong things that you're condoning wrong things by choosing to speak life instead of speaking death. However, God will deal with their wrongdoing. Don't burn bridges in your life. And that's what your voice can do. How many of y'all know what you can say can burn a bridge real fast? Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweet, sweetness to the soul and healthy to the body. Now, we've already determined that grace is unmerited favor and unearned approval and support. So then we could reread this verse as follows. Words born out of undeserved favor are like honeycomb. Now, this is hard. Because sometimes... There are people in our lives that we don't feel like they deserve unmerited favor. But the problem is, is grace is not contingent upon whether or not you deserve it. It's undeserved favor. It's undeserved. So there's some people in your life right now that are toxic. And they are bad for you. And I would invite you to evaluate your life and whether or not you need to stay connected with those people. However, sometimes we have to be connected to these people. Sometimes it's your job. Sometimes sometimes it's people within the context of your family. So what do you do about them? Here's what you do. You respond to them with gracious words. You give them words that are unmerited favor, like honeycomb to them. And you know what that does? It's speaking life over them, and it releases the opportunity for God to do a work in them. I treat them so bad, and they still talk to me nice. What is wrong with that person? I ain't saying it's easy. 
I am saying, though, you know, the golden rule says do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. What if we amended the golden rule slightly to say do unto others as you would have God do to you? So however you want God to speak to you is the way we should be speaking to other people. Okay. How is it possible that something as simple as a kind word can have such an impact? Remember, life to God isn't the state of living. It's being in His presence. It's being in relationship with Him. It's living in Christ. It's living in His light. Luke 179 says, To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. You see, darkness is where death lurks. So speaking life into a situation is not just being positive. It's about releasing light into that arena to change the atmosphere. It's about releasing the power of God that He gave you in your tongue to fill that moment with His presence. Imagine if you walked into work tomorrow into toxic environments that you might be walking in and under your breath you're just singing worship songs that, 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 that talk about who he is and how awesome he is and how mighty he is. You don't have to walk in passing tracks out to everybody going, oh, God's coming soon. You don't have to do that. But what if just with the, the, the soft words that were coming out of your mouth, you could change the entire environment of your office? What if instead of Oh, come on, kids, we're late. Let's get, let's get, come on, put your shoes on. What are you doing? Put your shoes on. No, you can't have a lunch. You're going to eat at the school, but it's gross. Eat it. Like, instead of that, okay? I don't like their oranges. Eat it. Instead, instead of that, what if right before you walked out of the door, you gave 30 seconds? And I realize 30 seconds might mean five cars in the line. I get it. Because if we don't get to Williams School at 6.50, we're a mile down. I, I, like Between 6.50 and 6.50, 15 seconds, 40 cars show up. Whatever. But let me ask you this. 30 seconds to just grab your kid's hand. I'm talking to you dads especially. Man, you don't know how much a dad this does when a dad does this. But speak a blessing over your children. Look at them in the eye. I bless you in the Lord today. You're going to have a good day, not a bad one. You're going to reach your purpose. You're going to fulfill your destiny. I'm for you, not against you. And God is for you, not against you. You're not alone. You don't have to listen to what the world tells you. I'm for you, son. I'm with you. I'm, I'm here. And the Lord is too. And I speak the Holy Spirit power over you today. You're going to change the environments that you step into. What if you did that with your kids? Is that worth five cars in the line? Is it worth five? Of course it is. It's seeing a change and speaking life into our environment. Speaking life is not just about being positive. It's inviting light and life to penetrate darkness and death. Don't you think that they're after your kids in, the, in, this, in this context of this culture and this world? Of course they are. Speaking life into darkness. And why is it so important? I'll tell you why. Because John 1.5. This is why it's so important. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Yeah. It's not just that the light dispels the darkness. The darkness doesn't even know what to do. They're like, well, we were dark. Like, I don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. Somebody was brave enough to speak life. Yeah. There are more important things 
in your life than venting your emotions. This is how fleshly people live. This is what Galatians 5 in the 19 section talks about. Just the fruits of the flesh that are living in your emotional responses to the environment and to what's lurking in your heart. But what God is encouraging you to do is to stop being led by your flesh, speaking death, and to be led by the Spirit in speaking life. Do you speak more death or do you speak more life? Remember, whatever you say flows from your heart. So if you are speaking life, it means that life is in you. Thank you, Jesus. But if you're speaking death, then it's time right now for the darkness in your soul to leave. How do we do that, preacher? We're going to do it right now. Here's what I want you to do. This ain't the altar call yet. We got some more time here. But I just want you to do this for just a second, all right? You don't have to yell it across the room, but let air come out of your mouth. Let this be a confession. Jesus, you are Lord over the darkness in my soul. Shine your light into the dark places within me by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, preacher, those are just words. Well, so is the sinner's prayer. So is saying Jesus is Lord. It ain't about the word. It's about what your heart means and believes in that moment. And here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Watch how over the course of this week, the Holy Spirit begins to shine light into darkness within your soul. And you find that you are getting freedom in areas that you've always been bound in. Come on, receive that right now in your spirit, church. Speak life. Let me give you a spiritual life hack before we move to the next one. Practice on yourself in a mirror. Okay, I know people out your family might think you're crazy. He's in there speaking life over himself. (laughs) Here's what I want you to do, though. I want you to start first by speaking life over the person that Jesus died to save, and that's you. I had a, I'm going to try not to cry, but I had a conversation this week with somebody, and they had such a gift, but they were struggling with the sin, and they felt like their sin was too powerful for their gift. And it, and, it, and it hurt me because the problem wasn't the, the sin. It wasn't the gift. It was that they didn't see the value in them that he saw in them. And I think sometimes we don't step into our purpose because we simply don't see the value that Jesus sees in us. But here's what I want you to think about. Come on, if, if, you, if your heart can't receive it, let your brain do it. Let your logical brain do it. Jesus died for you. And that means that God sacrificed his son for you. I've said it a million times. If it was up to me to save y'all by sacrificing John William, y'all going to hell, okay? I ain't killing my boy, all right? I'm just sorry. I'd be a horrible God. But that's what he did for you. And if that's what he did for you, he gave you that grace. Don't you think you can extend a little of that grace to yourself? If he thought you were worth the blood of his son, don't you think that you're worth a kind word from yourself? Look in the mirror and say something nice. Okay. Second one is speak the word. Having what you say make a difference takes more than fairy dust and happy thoughts, y'all. This ain't Neverland. What it takes is the word. If you want to see anything in your life start changing, it takes speaking the word. Happy thoughts can change your mood, but the word can change your heart. You just need to think happy thoughts. When you're sad, just think about rainbows and butterflies. Think the rainbows and butterflies. No, number one, butterflies are cute, but like for 13 seconds. Oh, and a rainbow, 
can't, I can't never find the end of it. So that's even more problems. Okay. Leprechauns. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit and let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Because of what? Because of these promises. That's the word. And look at what the word can do. It can help us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. Is there a situation in your life right now that is not holy, that does not have righteousness, that needs to be holy, that needs righteousness? Well, you don't just say happy thoughts. You speak the word over that situation. The word is what makes a difference. And there are two main reasons why we speak the word in whatever situation we're in. Number one, it's because Satan has to obey it. Okay, Satan has to obey it. Look at this. 1 John 5.19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under control of the evil one. That's the devil. John 12.31, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Okay, ruler of the world, two different times. The first one was John the apostle. The second was Jesus himself saying, Satan is the ruler of this world. We talked a few weeks back about the fact that in Luke 4, God had given Satan authority. He told it to, he told it to Jesus. I have been given this authority from God, but his authority was delegated, not natural authority. The only one that has supreme authority is the ultimate authority, and that's God Almighty. Satan is subject to what God says, just like we are subject to what God says. And by the way, there's no such thing as Satan versus God, as if Satan and God are equals on the same plane. Satan is a created being who is cast down to the earth. And the Bible tells us that there's going to be a day when we look upon Satan and we say, Is this the one? Is that little imp the one that made me do all that sin? He is a created being. We don't have to listen to what he says. He's got to listen to what he says. God's authority is absolute and whatever he says happens. Isaiah 55 and 11 says this. It says, the word for me that goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me void, but will accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper for the thing for which I sent it. Y'all, when God speaks, it happens. No ifs, ands, or buts. Well, if God told me to do something, what happens if I die and it's not accomplished? God will make sure that that word does not fall. This is one of the reasons, y'all, for me personally, I'm not saying you need to think like this, but for me personally, I want to do everything God called me to do because I don't want somebody else to have to pick up the mantle and finish the job God sent me to do. That's why I'm trying to live as best I can for the Lord. It ain't about making it on rapture day. It's about accomplishing everything he told me to accomplish here. I want to honor him and his sacrifice for me by doing everything I can for him. So what is the word? Well, it's Jesus. That's the first thing, John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If you don't know what to do in a situation, if you don't know how to pray, because sometimes, I mean, I was driving across the flats one day, and I was just like, God, I don't even know what to say to you right now, bro. I don't know how to pray right now. So I always learned that if you don't know how to pray, you just say Jesus. Because if you say Jesus, He is the Word, you're speaking the Word into that situation. Sometimes just the name of Jesus. The Bible says that the name of Jesus, demons flee. People bow. Tongues confess. Okay. Philippians 2, 5 and 11. I, I could just read 11, but I've got to read this. It's so powerful. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him in the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. That includes Satan and his demons. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow, even the devil's old crooked bony knees. The second is the word is the Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. I know it's a lot of Bible verses, but come on, y'all need the word. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of a heart. I always thought that the soul and spirit, the, the, the getting to the marrow, I always thought that that was so interesting because the Bible says life is in the blood, correct? But the marrow is where the blood is created. So even the word of God can slice into the difference between your physical and your spiritual nature. That is amazing. Ephesians chapter 6, we have the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, loins girt about with truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. Everything that, that, that we put on as the armor of God, number one, it's Jesus Christ. We're clothing ourselves in Christ. Leave it up for a second. He's our salvation. He's our righteousness. He's our truth. He's our peace. He's the starter and the finisher of our faith. And then we get this thing called the sword of the Spirit. Whereas everything else is defensive in nature, the sword of the Spirit is defensive and offensive in nature. So if you want to see God really do something in your life when it comes to what you say, speak the word of God and watch the sword slash against the enemy. This is how you fight. Do you pray? Definitely. Do you list brothers and sisters in Christ to help you? Absolutely. Do you worship? Uh-huh. But when you put the word of God on your situation, you're enlisting the, one, uh, the, the help of the one whose words go forth and accomplish what they were sent to do. So when you go to your office, or when you go home to your family, or you go to your family reunion this Saturday, you know you don't want to go, but you got to because your last name is your last name. Instead of going in there, getting ready to get just whooped up on and defeated, begin speaking the word of God and let what God says should be happening in your family accomplish what it was sent to do. Spiritual life hack. Well, first let me tell this. First was Satan has to obey, but second is that your faith is built by speaking the word. So first is that Satan has to obey it. Second, your faith is built. Here's the spiritual life hack. Read your Bible out loud. Why is that? Well, Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. What you hear has an impact on what you believe. By the way, teenagers, y'all listen to this for just a second. I know you like the music, but don't you dare tell me that it's just the music you like. You know what I'm saying? And you're not listening to the words. I'll tell you why. Because growing up, country music was played a lot at dad's shop. And I know every word. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? I know every word. Now, no shade on country music, but it's just like the words get in you, whether you like it or not. What you hear gets in you. So you might be able to mentally think, I'm not letting what somebody says about me impact you, but it's getting down into your spirit. Because words build faith in something. We never think about this because we think this just applies that we, this just applies to the word of Christ. But what somebody says to you or about you builds faith in that thing that they're saying. 
Let me give you the proof of it. If enough people say it, you believe it, whether it's true or not. So it's a principle that can be good or evil. Is your faith being tested in the season that you're in right now? Read the word and read it out loud. Satan can hear it. You can hear it. He has to obey it. And you get to get built by it. Okay? Um, if you want what you say to have weight to it, you've got to speak the word of God over whatever situation you're facing. Now, this brings up an issue. How do I know what to say? Like, what Bible verses do we use? Go ahead and put that on the screen, if you will. This is a website at our church website, freedomdeal.com slash Bible. On that, you're going to have five different buttons that are links to the Bible study tools that I use every week to prepare a message and for my own personal reading and development. One of them is Bible Gateway, and it's just got, it's like a ton of different translations and stuff like that. I really like that. It's my go-to. Um, I typically use the ESV, um, but I grew up on the, in, the New King James Version, so I use that a lot. Um, it's really interesting if you study Bible translations. Some of them are literal or word for word, and some of them are thought for thought. And so like New Living Translation is going to be thought for thought. It's street speak. It's way easier to understand. So you might want to dive into that one. But like the, the um, well, Christian standard might be word for word. That's, you know, a little bit more difficult to understand. And you got the King James, which even King James couldn't understand. Okay, so just kidding. So I know some people out there are like King James is what Jesus said or oh, whatever. All right, so there's that. There's also a Greek and Hebrew interlinear. So what you can do is you can find a Bible verse and you go to Greek and Hebrew interlinear website and it lets you see the Greek words or the Hebrew words so you can go find out what those specific words mean. Because I'm going to tell you right now, English does a horrible job of explaining what Greek words are, Hebrew words are. A um, couple other things there, version. Um, there's Matthew Henry commentary. It's really great to help you understand things. But the main one is openbible.info. And if you go to that, it's got a little search bar let's say you want to know what the Bible says about rejection. You type the word rejection, hit enter, and it lists out every single Bible verse that has anything to do with rejection. You know what it is? It's the ammo store. That's what it is. Nine millimeter, come on, baby. 30 out, six. Whatever, it's, it's everything you need. It's right there. Okay, John six sixty three. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to your spirit and life. Happy thoughts won't do it. They only impact your flesh. At the end of the day, speaking the word is what makes the difference. So I'm going to give you three pieces of practicum right here, just for a second. If you're afraid, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. My spiritual father, Pastor Chuck, he said that when he was young, he was constantly afraid. And sometimes he would recite this verse a thousand times a day. But this is the verse he jumped on. If you're anxious, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So what does that mean in real life? Like, how do I do that? If you feel anxious, say, Jesus, I'm anxious. I don't know why. Or maybe you do know why. So here's what you say. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you right now to calm me in this moment. I have your peace. The world doesn't give me my peace. You give me peace. And at the end of the day, because I know you, it means that I'm filled with perfect peace. I receive that peace in this moment right now. I rebuke anxiety. And I'm taking this to you right now in prayer because you said that if I brought it to you in prayer, that, that you'd hear my request and that I didn't have to be anxious. Last one is if you're hurt, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another. 
forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. By the way, this is the verse that we find that shows that you can tap into God to Christ's forgiveness for other people because even God said, in Christ I forgive you. Okay. Last one is this, a short one here, speak potential. Consider these Bible characters, Abraham, Moses, Peter, the Samaritan woman. What in the world could they have in common? God spoke to their potential not their current situation, that's what. Abraham, he says, I see you as a father, even though you're fatherless. Moses says, I see you as a leader, even though you're hiding in the wilderness. Peter says, I see you as stable and sound, even though you're like a reed right now. The Samaritan woman, he says, I see you as a real worshiper, even though you have so many issues right now. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, the best part about this verse, to me, is not that we're his workmanship or that we're created for good things, but that those good works he created us for were prepared beforehand. What does that mean? It means that he sees the potential in us before there ever was in us. Psalm 139, 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Planning indicates potential has been recognized. Planning indicates potential has been recognized. That's what God thinks about when he sees you. Yeah, but I mess up. Yeah, God sees that. You know what? God will discipline you even. But even God's discipline is designed to correct you so you can get back to your potential. What about when I'm facing struggles? James 1.24, James 1.24, Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing. Why perfect and complete and lacking in nothing? So you can fulfill your purpose, your potential. God invites us to trade. He says, give me your past. Give me your present. Put it in my hands. And I'll give you your potential. It's not a single person in the Bible that reached their potential without this exact trade-off. Give God your past. Give Him your present. And He'll give you your potential. That's what He tells us. So here's my point. If this is how God speaks, then this is how we should speak as well. You see, we let too many people, too many people let their words destroy potential, not build it. So what would happen in your life if you started focusing on potential instead of the past? Now, that doesn't blindly mean, mean like blindly ignoring the past, but it does mean putting more emphasis on their potential. So how does this work? Well, like with your kids, don't beat them down. Call out potential. Why can't you figure this out? It isn't that hard. That's how I feel about with new math. Like I'm having to relearn math. Versus, hey, buddy, you can do this. Look, it's going to click. It's going to click. Just don't give up. You got this. I'm here to help you. What doesn't that change? What about with yourself? Instead of, you know what, you're a failure. Why don't you try this? I'm a child of God. I'm His righteousness. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I'm loved and I'm chosen. I'm not perfect, but I'm working towards it. I'm wanted. My life was planned. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, even speaking potential over myself. The mere act of speaking potential unlocks potential. People tend to achieve the level of speech around them. So be a person who unlocks potential in people by what you say. And when you do, 
you'll be acting just like your dad in heaven. So just like speech comes from the diaphragm through your vocal cords, your speech comes from your experiences through your worldview, and it all flows out of your heart. Now, Satan wants those experiences to ruin your heart, but God wants those experiences to restore your heart. But it's going to take some time to change what you say, but it got to, got to start with changing your heart. Amen. Speak life. Speak the word. Speak potential. It starts with changing your heart. Here's the last verse, Psalm 51.10. Create me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me in me a willing spirit. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask him to do that today. So here's what I'd like you to do. Would you just close your eyes for a moment? And I I don't know. I like to do this, but if you want to just put your hands out like you're going to receive something, if you have the liberty to do that. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to say, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to change what I say by changing my heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. In the mighty name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We receive the life you're speaking over us right now, God. We receive... The, the word that you're speaking over us. God, we receive the potential that you're speaking over us. God, we want to be like you. Help us change how what we say. Change our heart today. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. At Freedom, we want to help you have authentic relationships with God and his people, to have real experiences with the Holy Spirit, and to find lasting freedom. If the Holy Spirit speaks to you through this message, or if you want to make a decision for Jesus, please reach out at freedomdl.com connect. For more info on freedom, including service times and location, visit freedomdl.com. Thanks for listening.